0: Welcome to the Cliff Ravenscraft show. Here's your host, Cliff Ravenscraft.
1: That's right, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft show. Today, I'm going to be talking about creating the life that you want to live by changing your inner game. And it's all inspired by a terrific question that came in from a great friend of mine and also member of the AM group of The Next Level Mastermind. Her name is Leslie Graham. By the way, I encourage you to go check out Leslie Graham on her website at Leslegram.com. She has the most incredible, mind-blowing story of something that god did in the life of her family specifically a child i'm not even going to ruin it for you just go check out her website unbelievable story she's also a very incredible woman uh she happens to have a lot of experience working in online membership uh fields product launches uh she, she is associated with some pretty high names actually she's the main copywriter for uh Probably the one of the most well known people in the how to build a profitable online membership site program in the world. She also does some one on one coaching. And if you, uh, if you want to check out what she's got going on over there, and if you've ever thought about doing your own product launches, your own books that you're writing, whatever the case may it be. She has an incredible amount of experience. Check her out, com. And I've queued up the question that she submitted to me via Voxer in our AM group of the Next Level Mastermind Voxer group chat. Here's what she had to share. And um, by the way, I asked members of the Next Level Mastermind, hey, would you like to submit a question for me to cover in the Cliff Ravenscraft show? This is Leslie's question.
2: Hey, Cliff. So here's my question. As a fellow achiever and solopreneur, I sometimes find myself envious of the margin you're able to create in your life. What steps did you take to get to a place in your life where you could take days or even weeks off from work and still make a good living?
1: I love this question because, Leslie, I used to ask myself of this question to people that I looked up to as mentors, like Michael Hyatt, Dan Miller, Dan Miller. I remember in the earliest days of discovering Dan Miller, I was working around the clock nonstop, just barely putting food on the table for my family in my own online business that I launched. I mean, people have heard my story. My first year in online business, my take-home pay was only $11,000 net income, and that was me working around the clock, not even knowing what I didn't know back in those days. But I was following Dan Miller not too long after that, and all of a sudden, I discovered that... Every year for Christmas time, he takes like a, uh, several weeks to take his wife Joanne to Chicago and they just go around. And not to mention the fact that every year they go on a cruise together for like 10 to 12 days. And then not only that, but they ha- go on all these other trips. And I'm like, how has he created a life? What steps did he take so that he can take days or weeks off at a time and still make a great living? I mean, is it possible for other people like me to be able to do this? And if, and then Michael Hyatt. Now, I knew Michael Hyatt when he was still working at Thomas Nelson Publishing, and I knew when uh, he was making the transition into full-time self-employment. And So I knew Michael in the day when he was burning the candle at both ends of the stick, working a lot, uh, and, and loving most of what he was doing as well. But still, I I remember the time when Michael Hyatt's life didn't look a whole lot different than mine. But then all of a sudden, I saw Michael Hyatt start taking these one-month-long sabbaticals. He go like every year he goes. I, I think it's at least one now, and maybe he's ramped it up a little bit more. But I, it, I started hearing friends of mine say, "Listen, I am designing my life. I'm creating my life in such a way that I will take off at least one hundred days in the in the year ahead. So there will be one hundred days or fifty-two days that I will not work this year. And I remember, look, it's like, how is that possible? But then over time, I actually started toying around with some, uh, asking myself some questions. What would life be like if this? What would life be like if that? And for me, it all started with that very powerful question. What would life be like if I could do fill in the blank? For me, originally, it was, gee, I wonder what would life be like if I could just create podcast and online new media content, whatever, in whatever form, what would life be like if I could just, any moment of the day, drop whatever I'm doing, have no obligation for anything else, but I could choose at any moment of the day, 24 hours a day, if I wanted to, I could instantly drop what I'm doing. Outline some content and start recording or go live and start publishing content. Back when I had this dream, I was working about 50 hours a week in the insurance office in a family-run insurance agency. I was an insurance agent. I was very successful financially there. It's how I provided for my family. It's how my wife and I became debt-free because of the lucrative career that I had in that route. But all of a sudden, I realized, man, what I really want to do is create entertaining, educational, encouraging content that inspires people to take action in their life and break free from anything that's holding them back from living the life that God's calling them to live. My problem, though, is I want to do this, and yet the life that I would love to live, the life I'm feeling God calling me to live, is a life devoted to creating this kind of content. And I got this thing that's hampering my style, and it's called the day job. (laughs) I didn't have the freedom and flexibility to respond to the emails right when I wanted to respond them. When somebody did send when I was at lunch and somebody sent me an email that says, Cliff, I was listening to your podcast content, and if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you a personal question. And it was something like, How did you come to faith in Jesus? How does one do that? I mean, I I I really, I don't understand, and I do, I am seriously interested. How did you come to faith? And then I would write back to that person and say, listen, you know what? There's enough people that's questioning me about this. I'm not going to cover this in the Weekly loss podcast, but I do have another show that I have, and, and it's a podcast where I talk about just random things. Can I read your email? I'll be happy to remove your name from it. Can I read your email? and then respond to it. He says, Cliff, not only, or actually it was she, she said, not only can you read my email, but you can include my name. And I did. Uh, well, and then all of a sudden, now I'm actually creating an outline. But the only problem is, is I'm doing it at the day job. <laughs> I should be working, but I'm not. Uh, I'm there physically, but not mentally. My mind is elsewhere doing what I feel called to do, but at the same time doing it in a completely, uh way that's outside of integrity with who I am. You know, I, I should have been working. I'm being paid to work in the insurance office. I've got obligations here. I've got commitments that I had made that have now turned into obligations. And, you know, this isn't the right thing. So what would life be like if I could break free from the nine to five, or actually it was a little bit more than that, at the insurance office and free up all of my time. Maybe I could just find some way to make a living doing something online. I don't care what it is that I have to do to do it, but something that I love that's in alignment with what I feel called to do in this world that gives me the freedom and flexibility to design my own schedule. And then I... I, I I pondered that question. I dreamed about that for a while. And then all of a sudden, answers started to come. in. it's like, well, this is what it might look like. And well, is this possible? And all of a sudden, the I came to the conclusion. Wait, yes, it is possible. There's plenty of other people that have done this. People started giving me all sorts of ideas on ways that I could make it happen. And then before I knew it, I was putting in my 90-day notice at the day job. 90 days later, I'm out on my own. I have no steady income. I am full-time self-employed, and I was working for myself. Now I had all the freedom and flexibility. I could schedule my content. I could record, produce, outline content anytime I want. And I was doing it. Sometimes I was doing it at three o'clock in the morning. Sometimes I was doing it two in the afternoon. It didn't matter. I was creating my schedule. But I was also doing work that generated income all the other hours of the week. And that's how I got into the incredibly awesome lifestyle of a full-time self-employed person in their first year of online business working around the clock making hardly any money. There's all kinds of other stories about mindset and stuff like that. You can learn more about the mindset issues that I had back then. We'll tap into a little bit of it today, but man, the full stories over at mindsetanswerman.com slash free mindsetanswerman.com slash free is a one-hour video. It's the opening keynote address to the Free the Dream conference. Check that out. There's a lot about the story about my mindset and money. But the thing is, is even though I only made $11,000 net income, I got to tell you, I was living the dream. I was living a life that was beyond my wildest imagination. Oh my gosh, I just finished. In December two thousand eight. I just finished my first full year in business and I wasn't tempted once to go back and ask my dad, can I come back and work in the family business? Not once did I think about keeping my insurance license and, and saying, maybe, maybe just in case I need to go back. Not once did I think about it. Now, that's not to say I didn't have a lot of ups and downs emotionally because I did. I had a lot of anxiety. I had tons of fear, a lot of worry about my financial situation back there. But I loved what I was doing because I created a life that lived up to the new standard that I'd set for myself. I said, listen, I'm willing to work hard. I'll do whatever work I have to do to earn whatever money I have to make to make ends meet for my family. There is no way I'm ever going to go back in debt is what I told myself. Because we had become debt-free in February 2007. So this business has to make, I have to do enough things in my business, I'll do whatever it takes... And I will earn enough money to pay for a CPA. I'll earn enough money to pay so that the business can pay for health insurance. The business will pay for its software, any computer, any equipment. And and by golly, I hope to maybe even make an income this year. It would be nice, but I make sure that the there's money on the table. There's food on the table. As long as all of those things are met. I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to do those things, but I will not borrow money. I will not go into debt to make those things happen. And so guess what? I, 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 that became my reality. That was my standard. Now my standard word was that I'm willing to work 80 hours a week if that's what it takes. and many hours I did work as much as 80 hours, and maybe sometimes more. Who knows? But the thing is, is I was willing to do whatever it took to live up to this new standard that I had set for myself, and that standard was I wanted freedom and flexibility to choose my own schedule, to create content whenever I feel inspired to create it, and to do the work that I most love to do in this world. And at the time, I loved getting paid one-on-one to coach people how to create uh, an audio podcast. I loved consulting with people. I loved helping people figure out their technical issues at that time. I don't like those things today. I'm bored by them after more than a decade of doing it. But back then, I loved it and I created that life. All right. So, the question though is what steps did I take to get to where I am over these past several years? Now, Leslie's uh been following me for just a little while now and she has noticed that since she's met me or maybe she's heard stories of of the various things like for example Stephanie and I just recently went for a date weekend just took 4 days off and went to Colorado for the weekend didn't have to worry about my business whatsoever uh I'm getting ready you know she when I first hung, when I first personally met Leslie I was at a conference for Ray Edwards International uh his copywriting academy live conference in Franklin, Tennessee in July. And I was there for four and a half days. And she happens to know, because she started following me in social media pretty actively then, and we were conversing via via Voxer before she joined the Next Level Mastermind. She started to, she knew that I left Ray Edwards' event, and then I traveled all the way to Montgomery, Alabama uh, for Javonna Ellison's conference. And then I came back from that I was home for about five days, and then I left again, and where did I go then? Uh, I went for, um, I I came back for a little while, then I left again for the uh, Tribe Conference by Jeff Goins. Uh, Is that right? Yes. Yes, I did the Jeff Goins Tribe Conference in Franklin, Tennessee, but I spent an entire week between Jeff's conference and then for the Free the Dream conference, my entire own conference that I did. And then after that, I came back and I was only home for about four more days. And then what did I do? I took my son to Colorado for 10 days in Colorado, not focused on business. Matter of fact, I, I did show up for uh, a mastermind call one uh, one week but the other week, I had one of my mastermind members facilitate the call in my, in my absence. She was aware of that because she was a part of the AM group of the Next Level Mastermind. So she knew that I was in Colorado supporting my son, bonding with him in a way that most parents never even dream of bonding with their children about their love of esports and gaming. And I attended for 10 days a Dota 2 conference, or a, a tournament. And I had an incredible time. I met the people that my son looks up to. I actually networked with them. I've, I've got the biggest names in esports in his mind uh, to agree to come on a podcast with me anytime I want. I mean, it, it, it it's like, man, the bonding that we did, it was incredible. Now, there, I did show up and facilitate for out of those 10 days, I did show up and I facilitated two of the mastermind calls, one for the AM group, one for the PM group. But she knew that I was pretty much free all of this time and she saw that all. All of that. I came home from the 10 days in Colorado, was home for just a few more days, and then I left for another week in San Diego to hang out with Rich Lidfin, the co-author of The Prosperous Coach. Learned a ton of things from him. I did facilitate the meetings while I was in San Diego, but outside of that... I'm hanging out, having a good time, completely leisurely all of this stuff and then I even decided to stay an entire extra day to decompress from all of this travel and I spent an entire day all by myself at the San Diego Zoo. And then the next day I flew home. And then since then I, you know, I've I've just no, I, I. she sees the lifestyle that I've been able to sit. So her question is this. Hey, Cliff. So here's my question. As a fellow
2: achiever and solopreneur, I sometimes find myself envious of the margin you're able to create in your life. What steps did you take to get to a place in your life where you could take days or even weeks off from work and still make a good living?
1: Okay, so I'm going to give you Leslie and everyone else who's listening as well here a, a, a couple of things that I've written down in my notes. So, first of all, I want to let you know that over all of these years, I've always been incredibly intentional about keeping my overhead low. The the amount of cost for me to operate my business is extremely low. I have, from the first day of full-time self-employment, I have worked from home. So therefore, I don't have, I don't have like an office space to rent. I've not once, well, actually, that's not true. I've had, I've toyed around with the idea of employees. I've decided for myself, at least in this season of my life, I don't want employees. I don't want to manage employees. I don't want to even, uh, I, I've had over the years, there is a total of about five years out of the last, tw- since January 2008, there's been about five years of that time that I did have a virtual assistant. She was a contracted worker. I did not dictate what hours she worked. And then she only ended up doing... Actually, I had two different virtual assistants. I had Andrea for about a year or so. And then I had Amy for about nine months. And then Amy went on maternity leave. And then Andrea came back. And, and so... But I, I had two assistants. Either one of them... I don't think they ever did more than five hours per week worth of work for me, ever. And it was always about $18 to $22 an hour for those five hours. So that's the about the that's about the highest overhead I had there. My overhead, my biggest expenses and overhead in my business have always been this. My my uh my my health insurance for the family. Uh let's see here. My CPA accountant, um, my taxes paid to the federal government and everybody else that gets their share, my payroll to myself, and then a bunch of subscriptions. You know, I, I was just talking to somebody, I pay twelve ninety seven a year to Kajabi. I pay forty nine dollars a month to Zapier. I pay seventy nine dollars a month to ConvertKit. I pay. I I mean I've got I've got all kinds of uh, monthly software as a service solutions to everything. I mean it's just it's crazy how many of those. But even still all of my monthly expenses are usually typically less than a rent, the, than what rent costs for most people's businesses. Even solopreneurs that go out and get their own office space, my overhead for all that other stuff sometimes is less. That, that might be a, no, actually, now that I think about that, that is not accurate. My freaking health insurance is ridiculous. So, so, okay. Uh, fair enough. Uh, chances are some people probably pay less for their rent than I pay for my family's insurance, for, than the business pays for our family's insurance. But you get the idea. My, I, the idea is still I keep my overhead low. I like it like that. I, matter of fact, one of the things you said as a solopreneur, I am a solopreneur. I'm not this entrepreneur who's got this exit strategy of a multi conglomerate building your business, blah, blah, blah. That's just not my vision right now. Not saying that it won't ever be there. And if, if, if I ever decide to, do some other things that might be a part of my future. I I may have to grow a team. I may get employees. I may hire somebody. I may have multiple companies. Who knows? It's not what I'm pursuing right now. It's not what I've pursued up to this point. And so I keep things small. And so for me, I I started to set the standard, and it's all about changing the standard. Matter of fact, um, I I have some examples here, and I'm going to talk to you about those after I share what I learned from Tony Robbins. I've used this language a couple times already in this episode, but I've raised my standards over and over again, my standards for life, what I expect, what must happen in my life. So, for example, once Stephanie and I became debt-free, and our debt-free journey is another podcast episode for another time. We've told our story many times, and it's inspired thousands and thousands of others to become debt-free. But in February 2007, we became debt-free and that became a new standard of living for us. Listen, we've always been the type of people who will always maintain our financial commitments. If we take a loan out, we will always pay the agreed minimum amount due without fail, we will never be a late. We will not even be a day late. If we if we agree to sign up for a service and, and I, owe, I, I owe you money because I committed to paying you money, I've always been that person. But there was a time where my standard was, it's okay to be in debt. Matter of fact, I remember having an argument with somebody that I love very much, not my wife, by the way, or my kids, but somebody that I do love very much and I respect very much and I told them about my desire to become debt free because that's crazy. You're always going to be in debt. You know, it's okay. Matter of fact, some debt's really good debt. And it's like, and I, so I grew up with, it's okay to have debt. And so we had student, I had my own student loan. I had credit card debts. We had unsecured debt. uh, We We had so much unsecured debt. We had personal loans for vehicles. We had all this stuff. And I just had so much debt. And I taught my wife how to to help me accumulate debt in the earliest parts of our marriage. But when we became debt-free in February 2007, we we had set a new standard. It's like, listen, debt-free is the life that we're called to live. We don't want we changed our beliefs about how life must be. We must be debt-free, and we must get debt-free. And it was a challenging journey to become debt-free. But boy, once we got it, we said we're never going back. All right? Now, that's a whole another story for another day, but but I tell you what, I changed my beliefs about what life must be like, and I changed my standard. Here's where I first, no, I I didn't know, there, there are many times where I've used the, the principle of raising my standards, where this has happened naturally in my life, and Leslie, when you hear this, it may be for the first time, I'm not sure, but when you hear this, you're going to th- probably think about the many times that you've raised your own standards, and not even know that this is exactly what you've done you, this expansion of your identity this this changing of your personality or your persona in this world the mask that we just choose to put on to how we show up anyway i'm going to share with you when my life drastically changed when i became aware of this principle of raising your standard i heard about it first from tony robbins and i'm going to share with you clips of a piece of content that changed my life forever And I'm going to give commentary on each of these clips as I go through. So here's the first clip from Tony Robbins.
0: Ultimately, if you're going to have lasting change in anything, you're really talking about just raising your standards. And what does that mean? Lasting change is different than a goal. You don't always get your goals, but you always get your standards. Maybe it'll help you is to think about it this way. I I try to explain standards to people with a different set of words. Think of it as everybody in life gets their musts. They don't get their shoulds. Like, think about it. Most people have a list of shoulds, don't they? Don't you have a list of the shoulds, things you should do, you should follow through on? I, I should lose some weight. I should work out more. I should make more calls. I should respond more rapidly to my email. Whatever. Whatever your should list is, people love to have their should list be met, but it's kind of like New Year's resolutions. If it does, it's really exciting, but if it doesn't, which is most of the time, eh, it's a little disappointing, but you kind of know it's not going to happen. But when you decide something is a must for you, an absolute must, when you cut off any possible, you say, I'm going to find the way, or I'm going to make the way. Human beings, when they resolve things, and they have make a real resolution inside themselves, which is they raise the standard and
1: they make it a must, they find the way. So there you go. They, so that's what it's all about. It's about turning something that you should do, would be really nice to do, something that I kind of would like to do into something, no, I must do this. This must happen. At whatever cost, I'm going to make this happen. Whatever fear I have to get beyond, whatever obstacles I have to overcome, whatever hurdles I have to jump, I am going to make this happen. And so, and and he talked about, you know, why some people's New Year's resolutions and some of the things that they want. So, if if we're talking about here, I want to have margin in my life. I want to be able to make a good living financially but I also want to be able to make sure that I work out six days a week every week for the rest of my life. I want to make sure that I've always got plenty of time to spend hours consuming personal and professional growth material. I want to make sure that I always have time to drop everything and take my wife out to lunch whenever I want. I want to be able to go and pick up the kids from school if Stephanie needs me to. I want to be able to go and and take a leisurely afternoon uh, drive in my 1974 Volkswagen Beetle on a nice blue sky uh, 80 degree day. I want to be able to go and take a power nap Anytime I want throughout any given afternoon, I want to be able to, I want to be able to be at home when my kids come home from school or are home visiting from college. And I want to be able to spend some quality time with them. I want to be able to go out to dinner with my family and not be checking my email, thinking about work and all this other stuff. I want to have margin in my life. I must have all of this. This is my standard. Now, the thing is, is I didn't get all of this at once. It started for me with I must work out six days a week every week for the rest of my life. I must, and then it expanded to, I must be able to do this and continue to do my business. But okay, now, I because I must do whatever it takes to generate this amount of money, but now I want to be able to generate this amount of money, but I want to have this much time off. And I'll get into a little bit more of the nuance of that. But what happens is, until it becomes a must, it will not happen for you. Until it becomes like, oh my gosh, this is who I am supposed to be, this is my identity, I claim this, I'm staking this in the ground, this is who I am, I will have this. Until you have that, it's kind of like, he says, listen, it's, it's really, he says, but if it doesn't exist for New Year's resolutions and some of these other goals that people, it's like, you know, I really should have more margin in my life. I really should make it to where I actually go to the gym. I should, I really should actually send out more of those marketing emails uh, or create some of those, uh, automated systems so that, that I can do this and have more margin on it. I really should. And boy, if I actually meet those goals, it would, he says, it would be, a, it'd be really exciting. I'd be really, I'd feel really good if those things happen. But if those things don't happen, here's what happens. If, if it's just a little disappointing that you didn't get it. And I talk to people all the time that, that when I'm talking to them, what are your goals for the next year? What is something that you want to accomplish? And they say, well, Wow, I'm looking at my goals, and these look a lot like my goals last year, and I really didn't do any of those. How does that make you feel? I'm a little disappointed by that. Yeah, and it's the fact that you're only a little disappointed by that, which is what made it to where you didn't do it. You didn't have enough leverage. You had not yet said, this has to happen in my life, because if it had to happen, if it was a standard for you, you would have done whatever it took To get there. Now, I will tell you that the standard, you know, the kind of lifestyle that Leslie, you've seen me living this year since you've been following me, this ability to travel and all this stuff, this is something that I determined that I must have. And I determined I must have this many years ago. But still, it took me time to do the things necessary to figure out all of the things that did and didn't work to finally get here. And also, I'm going to hopefully tra- share with you some very transparent things that, that you know, it, don't get too many crazy ideas about how, what a, you know, what, uh, what did you, how did you ask the question and still make a great living? Don't get me wrong. By pretty much most people's standards, I make a great living. By my own standard, I don't make a great living right now. I make a decent living. See, my standard of what a great living is is a lot different than what my standard of a great living was 2008. Boy, if you would have ever told, if you would have told me that I would make as much money as I made in 2019, in 2009, I would have laughed at you. And I'm like, only in my dreams. And today, my standard has changed so much about what I expect financially That I don't consider myself to be making a great living. I, I, it's funny, but I kind of like, man, my standard of living is like, yeah, I'm getting by and you know, and I'm getting by comfortably on the borderline of discomfort though, authentically, transparently. But it's okay because of the reasons why I'm actually in this position financially and it all makes sense and it's all worthy worth it because of of actually where my standard is next and what I'm doing now is the steps to get me to that standard which is it's still mind blowing to me. All right. So, back to Tony. He says the the problem with most people is they set these goals but you know, the the only problem with the goals and the ha- the things that they should have is like it'd be nice to have them It'd be a little disappointing maybe even a bit disappointing but it, it's not it's like okay whatever and then you just you just keep on going all right so uh let's see here oh and and also if you if it doesn't happen you're disappointed and you said i know it's not going to happen that's another thing he said in there all right clip number two here's what tony said next
0: think about it in your own life haven't you had some area of your life where you raised your standard and your life has never been the same? Maybe at one time in your life you used, smoked cigarettes or you did something and you did it for years and you kept trying to change it, trying to change it and kept telling yourself, I should. And then one day something happened. Something just clicked you over. Something took you over that kind of tipping point. And inside yourself, you said, no more. And it was a very, very different experience, wasn't it? Something inside of you shifted and what was a should became a must, and you've never gone back. Is there an area
1: like that in your life you can think of? Okay, Leslie, anybody else listening to this? Has there ever been an area of your life where you, it, it's like, man, something happened that shook you at your innermost core, and you finally got fed up, and you said, no more. This has got to change. Today is the day. And my guess is that there's been some very big circumstances, maybe one, two, or three major ways that your life has changed where you, like, instantly changed your belief about how life must be and and you never looked back. There's got to be – not that there's got to be there, but there's likely to be one, two, or three things that come to mind. And if not, at least there's some small things, some smaller shifts in your life where it's like, eh, okay, I think I can resonate with that. I can track with what's being said here. Now, for, for me, my mine, I've had all sorts of these things. But of course, then again, I'm surrounded by people who live life like this. I surround myself with, by the way, that's another step, I surround myself with people who have consistently raised their standards. It's kind of like, man, I've, once I get up to the standard of living of, of living life, like the things that they've set, it, next thing I know, they've gone and raised their own standard. <sighs> anyway, not that I, by the way, I'm not comparing myself to others. And it does remind me, Leslie, of something you said. It's like, man, I, I, as a solopreneur, I'm envious of people who have the schedule like you. And you know what? I I don't think what you're doing there is comparing, and I think it's okay to be a little envious of that. In fact, I would encourage more people to be envious of of some things that you feel like, man, I'd like that to be a part of my life, if that's something you feel that God would want you to have as a part of your life. You know, sometimes I think we need to get a little bit of discomfort about how overworked, overstressed, overhurried we are in life so that we can begin to finally experience the peace that Christ has gifted us, that has made him available to us. He says, Get, come to me, all of you who are weary, overburdened. I will give you rest. I will lead you beside still waters. Don't worry about anything. I'll take care of you. I'll clothe you. I'll feed you. Don't worry. I got this. And by the way, I am not suggesting that we give up our work, effort, e- e- work ethic. I love my work ethic, and it's something that I believe that God has given me as well, but at the same time, I finally got around to the... It's like, listen, I know for a fact God did not call me to work 80, 90 hours a week working around the clock and not charging much money and and just burning my life force at both ends of that virtual candlestick, if you will. And so in January 2009, one of the steps that I took, Leslie, was I went for a trip. I went for a two-week retreat. And in this two-week retreat, I, I heard the voice of God. And it's like I went away, and I heard the voice of God, and, and God said, it's time to change something now. Now, uh, this, I'm not talking about, I didn't go away to one of those fancy monasteries up in the highlands of Scotland where you, I don't know if you know that you can do those. They got all these spiritual retreat places you can go and be in solitude. No, it was January 2009 and I took a two-week retreat at St. Elizabeth Hospital in Edgewood, Kentucky. That's where I went when my gallbladder. Basically, explode. I don't know what it did. It, it did it un unlo- it unleashed and unloaded a massive amount of terrible gallstones all through my stomach. I was writhing in pain, almost died as a result of a mix up there, and that's where I had this revelation. Did I actually hear the voice of God? I, it depends on what you how you define the voice. Of, oh my goodness, my friend Andy Mason is watching this live as I'm broadcasting. It. Hello, Andy Mason. Uh, so anyway, I, it, this was my retreat, two week retreat. God says, listen, if you're not going to take some time off, how about I, how about I schedule you a solitary, uh, bedroom over at St. Elizabeth Hospital, get you by yourself, pull you out away from your work for a little bit, and, and, and let, let me sit you down and talk to you about leading you beside some still waters here. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I have to raise my standards. I I can't work around the I can't work this way. I've got to find a way to become more profitable with least I I've got to work less and charge more. I've got to make more money than I've made before and I have to work less hours. This is a this must happen. And of course I I I did this for a while and of course uh I've got to also I've got to figure out something with my health and fitness and I I I worked first and foremost Actually, I kind of worked on both of them at the same time, but my health and fitness journey was up and down for many years until November 14th, 2014. And on November 14th, 2014, I raised my standard for physical activity. That's to say, it's like, that was the day I said, listen, I'm going to work out six days a week, every week, for the rest of my life. I had had enough. I was sick and tired showing up at 300, nearly 300 pounds, doing public speaking When, uh, at a conference for Michael Hyatt where just nine months early or nine months earlier, I had weighed like 45 pounds less. I mean, I was yo-yoing all over the place and I wasn't being a good steward of my body. I wasn't being a great source of inspiration and encouragement of how to actively pursue and live the life that you're created to live in front of the community, which is what I felt most called to do. Even though, yes, at the time I was making all my money teaching people how to podcast and, Teaching people out of the podcast, you, one could argue it doesn't matter if you're 200 pounds or 300 pounds to teach somebody, you could still do it either way. And I did that, but that's not what I, I knew there was something more in life than teaching people how to podcast. But if I was going to teach people how to actively and encourage them to actively pursue and live the lives for which they were created. I needed to do it myself in November 14th, 2014. I said, I will work out six days a week, every week for the rest of my life. And I did and I have. Now, there's been a caveat. Let's just say in the last five and a half years or last five years, what, however many years since November of 2014, the reality is, is, has there been times when I didn't work out six days? Maybe four or five times, but only when I was either instructed by the doctor, hey, dude, you've got upper respiratory infection. You need to take about two days off of working out, and then you can hit it again. That happened once. Uh, and then the other couple times was, it's like, listen, you've been traveling for the last 10 hours. I think you can call it a day, all right? And I know you took your day off on Sunday, but just go ahead and take it this day. But outside of that, have I lived up to, yes, my identity, who I am, I work out six days a week, every week for the rest of my life. In December 24th, 2017, that was the day I finally said, I'm done with sugar forever, I'm going to stop eating sugar. I don't care. I don't need the pumpkin pie. I don't need the birthday cake. I don't need the all. I just don't want sugar anymore. I don't want sugar. I'm done with it for the rest of my life. And guess what? Have I had sugar since December 2017? Yes. Two different times once a year apart from each other, just to see what it was like, see if I was missing anything. And both times I'm like, yep, I've created some really awesome neurosatiations. When I ate that sugar, I did in fact feel at a at a at a nervous system level massive, immediate, unbearable pain. And some of that was actually physically because it's true. Some of it I made up in my mind in this. I don't care if it was manufactured in my I felt it, and I'm like, no, I'm not going back. So, yeah, since December 2017, two times I've had sugar. Neither time was it anything that I wanted to repeat, and I'm like, boom. I think I might be done. I don't know that I'll actually do it once a year anymore. I, it, it, sometimes I, I, I think I may have had enough those two times to just say it's gone. So different standard of living. Let me continue on here.
0: Is there an area like that in your life you can think of? Again, did you ever smoke cigarettes? Did you ever eat a certain way, drink a certain form of alcohol, and then finally say no more, and you just don't go back? And notice this, it doesn't really take any willpower anymore. Because somewhere when we make this click, when we make something a must, we attach ourselves to it. It becomes part of our identity. And one thing I've learned in the last, gosh, 33 years of working with people from, now over 100 countries, 4 million people, is human beings absolutely follow through on who they believe they are. If you said to me, well, I'm really going to work hard to stop smoking, but, you know, I've been a smoker my whole life, and I'm, you know, I am a smoker. I know your days are numbered. You're going to be back smoking cigarettes again because we all act consistent with who we believe we are. I tell people the strongest force in the whole human personality is this need to stay consistent with how we define ourselves. If you define yourself as somebody who is really conservative, you're not going to be crazy and act nuts unless you're really drunk or something, and then you can say it's the alcohol. When it's really just you finally getting permission to be yourself, the alcohol is your excuse. If you're a really crazy person, you act crazy, outrageous, playful. You don't act conservative because that's not who you are. Very often people say, well, I can't do that. I'm not that kind of person. And I always say to people, really, when did you define yourself? I mean, really, how many years ago did you come up with what you could and couldn't do in your life? How many years ago? Most people, if they really look at how they're living their life today, it's based on a set of standards, a set of beliefs that they made choices about 10, 20, 30 or more years ago. I mean, very often we made decisions in our youth, or very young, about what to believe, about what we were capable of, about who we are as a person, and that becomes the glass ceiling, if you will, that controls us. There's a a corny metaphor, but it's true. I remember one time I was with my family at the circus, and there was a person there, and they had this big, giant elephant, and you look at this elephant, and they take this little rope, put it around the elephant's neck, and they drive this stake into the ground. And I mean, you look at this and you know that elephant could rip down the entire tent with almost no effort. And yet, the elephant doesn't struggle, doesn't try. Why? Because the elephant's conditioned. And they take that elephant and condition the elephant when it's a baby elephant. That's how they train them. When it's a little baby elephant and it doesn't have the power yet, they put a big rope around it and they drive this huge stake in the ground. And the elephant fights and fights and fights. And one day, finally, that elephant decides, I'm not capable of pulling this out. And once that becomes the definition of an identity of anyone, an elephant in this case, they don't even try anymore. It's just who I am. That's how it is. That's just the way it is in my life. I'd like to ask you to take a look at any place you've got a limitation and ask yourself, when did I decide to accept that limitation?
1: Wow, there is so much in that part of this clip that I'm hoping that, Leslie, you can understand how this was such a transformational uh, mindset shift for me, this idea of raising my standard, standard, changing my identity, changing my beliefs about who I am and what I'm able to achieve, who I am and what I'm supposed to be able to achieve. Um, Wow. So, for example, I love the ideas of the conservative person. He'll never go out and act crazy because he believes that's not who he is. A little side note, by the way, is this is why I'm not a huge fan of personality tests. Now, that's difficult for me to say here right out, just putting it out there, because so many of my close friends and so many of my mentors in life, they're like, man, uh, they're, they're the Briggs-Meyer or whatever, they're the disc profiles, there's the Enneagrams, there's the... I mean, there's the strengths finders. I mean, it's like, man, everybody seems to want to put themselves in a box of who, identifying who they are and then understanding that, okay, now that I've been diagnosed with this personality, then all of a sudden – um uh Now I, I have to act according this the way. And this is, this is, this is, these are my weaknesses. So all of a sudden you read this list of things that tell you, okay, okay, I'm, I'm a dominant and something or something. And it's like, okay, these are the things you're really good at. And it's like, yeah, I am really good at those. And here are your weaknesses. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh yeah, I do have those weaknesses. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know what? I'm going to go all left. I'm going to double in my efforts on my strengths. And because those are my weaknesses, I'll just delegate all that stuff. Out. And some of those times where there might be something that is a, that is currently actually is a weakness, but it's not something that always has to be a weakness. I, I we have to be careful about this language. Uh, what did he, what did he share in here? Uh, you know, he talked about the person who wants to quit smoking and says, "I'm going to quit smoking. I'm really going to try." You know, but I've always been a smoker. You know, it, it, everybody in my family's always smoked. Uh, You know, and so it's going to be hard. And I just recently heard somebody say, you know, it's like, listen, I want to work out. But, you know, I really hate the cold. I hate going to the gym. I hate this. And I can tell you right now, the more that you continue to tell yourself and convince yourself that I hate this, I'm not good at this, this is not the what, I'm not a morning person, I don't, I'm not able to ever get to sleep on the night before I travel, all of this other stuff, keep telling yourself those stories, and that's, you're gonna, that's your identity, that's who you, that's what you believe about who you are, and he said this, he says, the strongest force in all human personality is to, is the need to stay consistent with how we define ourselves, so if I define myself, I hate going to the gym it's too i 'm not an early person. I can never get up in the morning. I just am too tired I, I can never get the energy I need i, I don 't have enough time i the you know it 's just like it must be nice for them, but it 's not me it's, it's this is my this is my lot in life. I might as well just not worry about it just it 's just the way it is. And that's how we continue to get. But we have to change our beliefs. It, when you say something, it's, it's not something I should do. This is something I must do. I will do whatever it takes to make this a ha- make this happen. And sometimes, what you ultimately want to get doesn't happen immediately. Like, like for me, I ultimately wanted to be able to have a ton of margin to be t- able to take all this time off, travel, do these things, and have all of this margin and freedom in my life. But to get to that place, I had to try a lot of things that didn't work before I found out what did work. I actually had seasons in my life where there was very little margin. I was working more than most people could ever imagine working. But I I did all of that to but with the mindset of I'm going to find a way to tweak things to ultimately I find a formula that will work for me of work that will allow me to generate X number of dollars with only X number of hours so that I have the freedom to work out, time with my wife, time with my kids, time with myself, all of this other stuff. This is my standard, and I will get there. Start with the clear picture. Decide that you must have it. Don't worry about initially how it's going to happen. You first have to change that it must happen. All right. So, I love the elephant metaphor. The idea of so many times it's like, listen, we've told ourselves this is how I am. This is just how it is. Uh, this is This is the way my life is. You know, it's, it, oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, blah, blah, blah. I, th- this is, this is the career that I, uh, plugged myself into 25, 30 years ago. I thought I was only going to do it for 10, but I'm still here today. And now it's too late. Keep telling yourself that. And you're no different than the elephant that is th- this gigantic, powerful, strong elephant that is tethered via a tiny rope to a stake in the ground that you could easily yank out and go do whatever you want. But as long as you argue for your limitations, you will get to keep them every time. All right. Clip number four. Again, the strongest
0: force in the human personality is this need to stay consistent with how we define ourselves. Because if you don't know who you are, you would not know how to act. Once you lock in on that identity, your brain finds a way to keep you there. If you say, uh, you know, man, I'm overweight, I've always been overweight, I'm big boned, and that's the story you've got, then you're going to always find a way to get back there. That's your settling point. That's your identity. That's where things lock in. If you see somebody who's in really great shape, you ask them, do you work out, you know the answer. Yes, how often? And they'll tell you three times, four times, five times a week, whatever. In a seminar, I'll ask people, who here works out at least five days a week? And I'm stand up. And you look around that room, and you know that they work out five times a week because you can see their body. You don't just get a result without some kind of action, without some form of ritual. Ritual meaning actions you do consistently. Now, do you think of those people that are out there working out five days a week? Do they have more time than you do or I have or anybody else? Of course not. Is their life less busy? Of course not. It's just a must for them. They must work out that way and they've made that turn and their life changed. So I'm not saying you have to work out five days a week. I'm just saying whatever you really want, wants don't get met consistently. Standards do.
1: Okay, I love that clip. A little reiteration of things we've already talked about, but here's the thing. Your identity How you define yourself, that's your settling point. That's the, however you're defining, basically where you are today, that's how you defined who you are. That's what, if you're settling, if you are settling for anything less than what you feel that God has called you to live, it's because you've settled for the identity that you have today. You've said, this is who I am. Yes, I know this is the life that God has called us to live, but I don't know that it's necessarily for me because this is what I've got. These are all of the limitations that I could list out why that life is not possible for me. I missed my turn. I'll just settle here. So your identity is your settling point. The other one, he says, people who work out five days a week. I work out six days a week. Do you think I have more hours in my day than you? absolutely not. Then he asked the question, do you think uh, do you think people like me are more busy than you? And he says, "Of course not. Well, there are times when I promise you, there are seasons of my life that I am way busier than you are." And and Leslie, I'm talking about you, and I'm also talking about you, anyone else that's not Leslie that is either watching this video or listening to this episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft show. I guarantee you there are seasons of my life where I am intentionally way busier than you are, but I still work out six days a week every week and will do so for the rest of my life. Why? Because it's my identity. It's who I am. It's how I show up in the world. It's a part of what I believe I'm created to do. And you know what? I used to be a guy who hated going to the gym. I used to be a guy who said I don't have time. I used to be a guy that said it hurts all the time. I used to be a guy who said this and that and that. And you know what? I had to change. I changed All of that, I got enough leverage on the other side of things to get me to turn class two behaviors into a class one behavior. But at least this is still leading us to the answer of of Leslie's question. How did I get to the? What steps did I take? I raised my standards. I'll get a little bit more into that in just a second. But here's, I'll get two more clips from Tony here.
0: If you identify yourself in a new way and you own that every day and that becomes the standard of how you live, you'll find the way to make that standard real money's the same way think about it it doesn't matter what's happening quote unquote in the marketplace people that make money find a way to make money no matter what don't they I mean most people's standard is to pay their bills so that's what most people find a way to do even when economic times get tough most people if that's their absolute standard they find a way some people's standard is pay their bills most of the time and so most of the time they do Some people's standard is not just to pay their bills, but to take care of their family and maybe even some of their friends. And they find a way. In fact, you know some people may be in a family where they don't have enough money. They barely have money to pay their bills. They work their guts out. And then somebody, their mother, their father, somebody else, their sister gets ill, and there's not enough money to take care of it. Nobody else has money in the family. They don't either, but they find a way to get that money to take care of their mother or father, don't they? And pay their bills. They never could do it before, why? The situation made them raise their own standard. And not everybody does that. Somebody else in the family might have money and still not take care of their mother. It all comes down to the inner game, my friends. Changing your life is a change in the inner game. The outside world you can't control, but you have absolute control over this one if you learn the dynamics of what shapes you. And identity is one of those simple, clear, fundamental basics that if you start to shift it, everything else will shift in your life as well.
1: Absolutely, and and I don't need to... I mean, you can just go back and listen to that again. There's one more clip, a 21-second clip, and then I'll I'll slowly wrap this up here for
0: you. You Somebody once said, you can take all the money in the world out of the hands of everybody, out of all the wealthy people in the world who are really successful, give it to other people. It wouldn't take too long those people would have it back in their hands. It's not because they're manipulative, it's because they have a standard. Some are manipulative, don't get me wrong, but they got a standard of what they're going to find a way to make happen. I'm just simply saying to you, take those three magic words and live them. Raise
1: your standard. So Leslie, what steps have I taken? I had taken so many different steps and I didn't document everything out, but just a couple areas of my life where I I changed my standard. Number one, I changed my standard. I don't want anybody else to dictate my schedule. I don't want to have an employer that tells me where I need to be I don't want to. Impl- I raise. I raise my standard. I no longer want to live a life where I am told who my clients are. You have to work with these people. I don't care how much they yell and scream and cuss on the phone. You have to serve these people. You have to show up at the office these days of the week. If you want to get paid, you have to do this work. You have to be here these hours. I, I i was I changed my standard and so I became self employed so that I had that freedom. I wanted that freedom freedom of my own schedule was a new standard that was one of the big changes in my life that was a change in my identity. I am a full time self employed freedom over my own schedule human being boom new identity new life now of course then I was like man i i I realized that my new boss was a tyrant <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't know much about business back in the day. Didn't have a clue what he was doing. Terrible boss, aka myself. And so I had to actually, uh, I, even though I, I. I suffered financially that year challenged after challenge, but still I found a way. I still had that new standard. I will not go back into debt. I will not borrow money to make this business stay solvent. I will make sure that all the bills are paid. I will make sure our family has health insurance. I will make sure that the CPA, I will make sure all of the monthly bills and subscriptions for computer and all this other stuff, all the computer services, internet fees, all this, I will make sure all of those bills are paid. I will make sure our mortgage is paid. I, which was the only debt we had, so we were debt free minus our mortgage if you guys are wondering so I will make sure our electric bills always paid on time, never a day late. I will make sure that um, I will make sure that all of our other utilities are paid I will make sure that there is food on the table for my families I will do whatever it takes to make sure all of those that 's my standard all right and then eventually after my wake up call after my two week retreat in the hospital. Um, that's first time I've ever used that metaphor, but I'm going to start using, I think I'm going to make it a little bit more colorful in the future. But, uh, after my two weeks, uh, my two week retreat, uh, getaway at the hospital, I came back with the standards, like I must work, I must charge more, earn more money in less hours, and of course, that's when I started taking a day off, and it's like, I must, so, by the way, I eventually, after, it was actually nine months that I finally said, my new standard is I will not work on Sunday, and then I finally came up with a standard, I will not work on Saturday and Sunday, I must earn all of my money, actually, I must earn more money than I'm making now in five days a week instead of seven, and five days a week instead of six, you know, and, and I just kept upping it, upping it, upping it back and forth, Doing all these things, I finally got to the place where my life was set up in such a way that I was able to work work really hard six months out of the year and take it really easy six months out of the year. And so for me, what that looked like was podcasting A to Z, an online four week group training program. And I'm like, what would life be like if I could take every other month off and just and like go anywhere? (laughs) <laughs> and there's that magic question again. What would life be like if fill in the blank? Great question to ask yourself. So I started asking myself, what would it be like if I could take half the year off? And, and well, I, okay, not obligated to serving anyone, answering people's questions, being on call, scheduled meetings. That, that's having the freedom and flexibility to travel anywhere with my family, but still make a minimum of $240,000 a year. How could I do that? And so that's kind of the, the route that I took. I'm like, I, I created that lifestyle. I'm like, listen, I must make $240,000 a year that averages, that averages $20,000 a month. Now, the thing is, I don't want to work. Every, I want to only work six months out of the year. So the six months that I do work, I need to do enough work to generate $40,000 each of those six months. How do I do that? Well, what's forty thousand divided by two? It's like okay, that's twenty, right? Twenty thousand dollars or two thousand dollars. Anyway, I I figured it out. If I if I could figure out how to do something where I add two thousand dollars worth of value over a four week period of time for twenty students, then I could. Is that am I doing that right? Two is oh gosh, I hope my math is correct because I'm because the pricing of A to Z changed over the years. So let me just make $2,000 times 20 students. Yeah, I'm right, $40,000. So on average, I had 20 students in the course for four weeks. At $2,000 a piece, I just made $40,000 And it took me 30 days to market that, but that's 30 days of creating content, 30 things, 30 days of just doing things I love. And I could be doing all of the things to market to, to attain those 20 new clients. I, I did all of that work over the course of a month and I could be doing that while traveling with my family. There, for example, there was two weeks in between a podcasting, two different podcasting A to Z courses. I went to Europe for two weeks with my family. We visited five countries in two weeks, and I was able to market Podcasting A to Z in probably about maybe 30 minutes to an hour and a half, a couple of days during those two weeks. And I still ended up with everything I needed. And when I came back, I had, boom, I had my 40 students, 40K in the bank, and everything was good to go. And I did that for year after year after year until finally I'm like, man, you know what? I'm kind of getting tired of the, it's like by the way that was a really good what I was making a really great living right that was a really great living for me for a while and when i say really great living i'm talking about the income but i'm also talking about the amount of time that i work and i mean i'm working hard for 4 weeks 6 times out of the year don't get me wrong i worked hard and those were the seasons where let me tell you i was i was working hard and during those years when i had this yes i did do my work out 6 days a week even then. But I was working hard during the but man for 6 for the other 6 months, the every other month out of the year, dude, totally margin. I mean, hanging out at uh at <laughs> like spending almost an entire month in a an amusement park that's about a, an hour north of our home here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh you know, just just doing fun, having fun in life, having lunch meeting after lunch meeting with people traveling in from out of town. Just living the dream, but finally I got to the place where one day I'm like, "Listen, what if I could actually do this? What if I could make the two hundred forty thousand dollars, but not have to spend an entire month in between earning all that income? And what if I didn't have to work forty to fifty hours a week to earn the forty k? And then all of a sudden I started to, you know, I started to dream about all of that. I wondered if I could make a living for people, you know. How? So what happened was I started to ask myself this question. Leslie, I started to say, what would life be like if I could make a living from doing, facilitating mastermind groups where those mastermind groups generated $240,000 a year in income? And what if my only committed obligation that, that's actually marketed is that I will create the most powerful, most awesome mastermind group experience you could possibly imagine And and that is, in essence, mainly me facilitating a 90-minute powerful call that you will look forward to more than most any other scheduled activity on your business week. You're going to have an incredible 90-minute meeting facilitated by me. But I'm also going to have an environment where you're going to have opportunities to network and build relationships with those people in between the meetings. And yes, I'll be in touch with you and, and we'll have a relationship in between meetings as well. But primarily where... I would have an AM group at the next level mastermind and a PM group at the next level mastermind. And, and what if, what if it just on average, I, I maintain 10 people paying $1,000 a month in the AM group, 10 people paying $1,000 a month in the PM group. And then all of a sudden that's $20,000 a month and it's recurring revenue. So I'm not actually trying to go out and find 20 new clients every other month. I now, I, it's just going to take, and by the way, did that happen overnight? No. But did it happen? Yes. Did I have to do a lot of other things to continue to make the income that I must make to make, to live up to my financial standard as I was attracting and building and adding members to the next level mastermind? Yes. And then when I actually got to 20, actually I got to 24 members. Did I stay at 24 members? No, I, I, Learned all kinds of things that I did wrong. I I didn't in, I didn't interview people in the right way. I didn't actually discern who was the right people, and so some people got in and they told me that they could afford it, but I didn't know what to listen for, what red flags about whether or not could they really afford it. Do they have the resources to leverage the the advice that they're going to give? Are they going to are these the type of people who are really going to get a a a, a uh, a return on investment. for Do these people have the mindset? Are they willing to shift the way that they see the world to be able to implement life at a different level? And, and there are so many things I didn't know back then. So I actually lost a couple members here and there, which caused me to have to do some things that was way above what I had set as my standard of what I ultimately wanted to achieve. But ultimately, I got to the place. And today, I am at a place where and by the way, I don't charge a thousand dollars a month anymore to the Next Level Mastermind, as you know. Leslie was one of the final people that got in before I raised the rate to twenty five thousand dollars a year. Or if you don't pay up front, it's actually two thousand two hundred fifty dollars a month. And so I've raised my standard even higher. But the thing is, is I am in a place today because I said, listen, I want to get to the place where I can generate that this income with only this amount of hours. Now, let me tell you something. For those of you who are hearing this, I don't want you to think that I am facilitating two mastermind groups, which currently has, I think as it sits right now, I have 21 members of the Next Level Mastermind. 20 of them are paying $1,000 a month. One of them is paying $2,250 a month. Or he could choose to pay in full for 25000 Now, I currently have room as I'm recording. I'm recording this on Wednesday, January 29th, 2020. Uh, but this podcast episode is not going to be released as episode 638 of the Cliff Ravenscraft show until March 6th of this year. I'm that far ahead because I've been so inspired with content and I've had a lot of margin in my life. Um... So anyway, but right now I have three spots open, and to fill those spots, I know exactly how to do it. I'm not doing it the internet marketing way. I'm doing it through one-on-one 90-minute coaching experiences. I'm using the Prosperous Coach Method, and I know that I will fill the remaining three spots that are currently open with people who will pay either $25,000 up front or $2,250 per month. And because of that, I and I'm aggressively working towards that, I've raised my standard to where now... at at the end of this year, my income should be no less than three hundred and sixty thousand from recurring revenue from only only the Next Level Mastermind because I'm going for thir- I want to get my recurring revenue from the Next Level Mastermind to no less than thirty thirty thousand dollars per month. Now, the thing is, is Stephanie's also working on building her business and she's got income that she's got coming in. I've got other products and services that I. We'll probably offer. You'll probably, if you haven't heard already, I'm going to be offering one on our one day business masterminds. Um, and by the time, let's see, by the time this comes out as the Cliff Ravenscraft show, I've already done a one-day business mastermind in San Diego the day before social media marketing world. Now, the funny thing is, is I haven't even begun to promote or market that yet, but I know I'm gonna host one, and I'm thinking that the price is probably gonna be around, it depends on how many people I, it's either gonna be $2,500 or it's gonna be 5,000, and I'm leaning towards 5,000. So, uh, but I'm going to do a one day business mastermind. If it's just me and one person for that day, that's perfectly fine. If nobody signs up for it, I get an extra day in San Diego. I love sunshine and I love San Diego. But I, I think there's a very real possibility that I will actually have maybe six people who do that. And so that's an extra income on top of those other things. But do I need those things? No, what my standard, what my musts are is I've taken my musts and 2020, I must make $30,000 recurring revenue from nothing more than my next level mastermind AM group, PM group. And to do that, I also want to make sure that I'm serving those people extremely well. So I am actually serving existing members of the Next Level Mastermind through a couple uh, one-on-one 90-minute coaching experiences in between when their hot seats happen in the group. So I'm 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 serving them way above and beyond what they actually were marketed, what would be the benefits of the Next Level Mastermind. They also get me as their mentor and coach through the process as well, one-on-one. But then on top of that, I'm also actively doing the prosperous coach method, which is usually two to three uh, 90 minute coaching experiences for people who are not current clients, but who could potentially be clients. And I'm doing this prosperous coach method. So I'm working to, so it's not just facilitating this 90 minute call and this 90 minute call three hours every week. In essence, I'm actually doing all of this in – it was I would do calls on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, and I would have every Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off. But I, it's like, well, I'm raising my standard even higher. So now I've determined I – Leslie, these are the steps that I've taken. I've determined I must make $30,000 every single month from recurring revenue specifically from the next level mastermind where the expectation is that the primary main return on your investment comes from the environment that's created, that's facilitated mostly by this 90-minute meeting, but also through the engagement uh, with the other members of the group and just being a part of this lifestyle of of peers who are gonna help you raise the expectations of how you show up in the world and what you pursue. And so, because your life will be the direct reflection of the expectations of your peer group, and that's what we found in the Next Level Mastermind. It's awesome what's happening in people's lives as you know, Leslie. So, here's what I will say. I have three hours of facilitating those groups, and then I have one, two, three, four, five. And I have five other 90-minute sessions. So that's, uh, anyway, you do the math on that. Five other 90-minute sessions, but those 90-minute sessions, three of them are on Tuesday, two of them are on Thursday. So I have uh, have three 90-minute calls, Every Tuesday from 10:30 to 5 and then I'm done. I have I know I always have an hour in between those calls. On Wednesday I have a 9:30 in the morning. I have the AM group of the Next Level Mastermind for 90 minutes. After a half an hour later, I facilitate the Green Room Mastermind for my own personal mastermind with Pat Flynn, Mark Mason, Ray Edwards, uh Michael Stelsner, Leslie Samuel. Uh did I miss anybody? Michael Stelzer. Anyway, with the Green Room Mastermind. I don't have anything scheduled on Wednesday afternoons. I don't. I I was doing one podcast interview per week. I have currently paused that for right now, although if somebody asked me and it was a good fit, I'd probably put them on a Wednesday afternoon, but I don't have to. Uh, It's not necessary for my marketing strategy. Um, And then on Thursday, I have two 90-minute calls. One's at 10.30 a.m., one's at 1 p.m., all right, and so those are those are two 90-minute coaching experiences on Thursdays. Then I have the rest of Thursday afternoon. I usually take a, a very fat nap on Thursday afternoon, and then I get up, and I hang out with the family, have dinner with them, and then we have the evening group of the Next Level Mastermind for 90 minutes on Thursday night, and I am in a place right now where my standard is I will have no scheduled commitment. My calendar, if you were to ask me, hey, Cliff, are you available on Friday? Yeah, I am. Hey, Cliff, are you available on Monday? Yeah, I am. Do you, don't you need to look at your calendar? No, I don't. Why? Because my standard is I must live a life where I'm making a minimum of $30,000 a month from the recurring revenue of the Next Level Mastermind, and I must be able to serve those people so powerfully well that they are getting well beyond what they ever expected as a return on their investment for being a member. I do this through facilitating an incredible weekly environment of the Next Level Mastermind. Ask any existing member. I also serve them above and beyond that through engagement with them as their personal mentor and coach in ways that they never dreamed that they would get that kind of access to me, blowing their minds with that, but still mostly having all of that happen through those five calls, those five 90-minute calls on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So that's my life, but I do not schedule anything with anybody, the very rare exception very rare. And let me tell you, it is extremely rare. But I can tell you right now, my standard is that I must generate all of my money in those blocks of time and have every Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday all to myself. And by the way, I also want to make sure that nobody ever books a a 90-minute call with me on my calendar more than X number of days in a, a week, or X number of weeks in advance, unless they're an existing client, because then i can easily negotiate a a a shift in in scheduling if i decide i want to if i decide i want to go spend a week to 10 days or 14 days in europe uh then i can actually just do that and just not make those 90 minute calls available and i can i'm in a place where i have such an incredibly powerful group of people and incredible relationship with everybody there that when i go to prague to speak at the global leadership symposium i'm going to be gone for 10 days and that week, I'm going to, ha- I think Rick Lingberg is going to uh, facilitate the AM group of the Next Level Mastermind that week, and Stephanie is going to facilitate the PM group of the Next Level Mastermind that week. And in my free time while I'm there, I will listen to those calls, and I will be a part of Voxer, and I will chime in. But during the times that those things are on, I'm going to be doing things in Europe, I'm going to Prague for a couple days. I'm speaking to emerging world leaders for uh, three hours, teaching them mindset stuff to achieve the things they want to do with their countries that they're going to run, their their economies that they're going to manage, the politicians that are going to run for office. I mean it's I'm teaching world leaders. That's like, what? And yes, I am going to generate the income that I need, that I must. I must generate. I must keep at that level. And because I have because I have all of my income needs met in that Within that time frame, I created this standard. This is what must happen for me. It didn't happen overnight. It took me a while to figure it out. I worked out lots of kinks. Had a couple financial setbacks along the way, but you know what? I I this is the standard. These are the steps that I took. So, Leslie, the answer to your question. Let me let me play your question one more time.
2: Hey Cliff. So here's my question. As a fellow achiever and solopreneur, I sometimes find myself envious of the margin you're able to create in your life. What steps did you take to get to a place in your life where you could take days or even weeks off from work and still make a good living?
1: Number one, I decided that I must have this kind of margin in my life and I must generate the kind of money that I'm generating today within the amount of time, and even within the products and services that that light me up and fire me up the most. I decided it must happen. Number two, I decided it will happen. And number three, I started taking actions to make it happen. Failed miserably at many of those actions. Many of those actions succeeded. The ones that succeeded. Uh, I continued, some of them succeeded and continued for a while. And I realized, well, you know what? I think there might be a way to, to actually get a better return on my investment. And so one of those things, I actually, I had a third group of the Next Level Mastermind and then I shut it down because you know what? No, this, this, is, this is going against really that end all picture of the life that I feel called to live. And, and Leslie, I'm going to predict to you right now, because here, here's what I will tell you. In 2015, I dreamed of a day where I would make twenty thousand dollars a month. Uh, actually, no, I, I, no, that's not true. In 2015, I dreamed of the day where I would ha- I'd be making ten thousand dollars a month of recurring revenue from ten people paying me a thousand dollars a month to be a part of a mastermind group. Today. I'm living above that standard. But back then, it, it was a challenge. And it took me a long time before, from 2015 all the way through here to, to lots of things to, took place. And most of it was mindset limiting beliefs. This is not who I am. People won't pay me for this. This is There's no tangible product, blah, 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 all this other stuff. Boy, have I proven myself wrong. And I'm so glad I was wrong. I'm so glad I didn't argue for my limitations. That I let go of those limitations and I let people who helped me raise my standard help me under raise my beliefs of what was possible. I I surrounded myself with people who were living at a higher level than I was, and and they were showing me what was possible, giving me the courage to go after it, even though I was scared like crazy. I had so much fear. I did not have confidence. But I didn't need confidence. I just simply needed courage, and I tapped into my mastermind group, and they gave me the courage I needed to take the next step. And then when I like started to freak out again, they calmed me down. I can't begin to tell you the number of times I reached out to my own mastermind group and said, hey, I need a pep talk. I'm getting ready to, to go live, and I'm really scared to tell them about the price of this thing that I'm offering. Um Got lots of fear. Who would do this? And it's like, next thing you know, I've got fourteen people who paid two thousand dollars a piece to come all from all over the world for a next level workshop in my home. Something that I've, I, I, it's like, man, I don't know that anybody will do this. And Ray Edwards like, yes, they will. In fact, you should charge five thousand, Cliff. Please charge five thousand. And I'm like, I can't do that. He's like, well, then do two thousand, then I go to two thousand. Well, now I'm at the place where I'm, I'm actually doing workshops for five thousand. So. Anyway, I I I took actions. I took actions. I took actions. I failed a lot. I succeeded. I I I tapped into my my resources around me, the people who were living life at a higher level, and and my life became the reflection of the direct a direct reflection of the people that I surrounded myself with the most. That my peer group, my mastermind group, my life today is a direct reflection of what my closest friends in this world the green room mastermind expect me how they expect me to show up in the world they won't let me settle for less they'll let me make mistakes every now and then but initially if it gets if it goes too far uh they they start kicking they start kicking me in the rear end and say oh wait Ah, uh, you sure you should be saying that to yourself? Are you, Mister Mindset Answer Man? I'm like, okay, I got it, Leslie. I hope that helps you. It's it's about changing your it's changing your identity. I am going. I am. I must be one of those solopreneurs. I must be one of those solopreneurs who can take days or weeks off of my business and still make a great living. I must be a solopreneur that makes X number of dollars consistently every single month from doing this kind of work that I absolutely know that I love, that is valuable to my clients, and it serves them at the most powerful way. I also must be able to generate that kind of income for these clients in X number of hours through the week so that I can always make sure I have time for my physical fitness and health. I want to make sure that I have time to read and relax. I want to make sure that I have time for naps in the middle of the day. I want to make sure I have time for lunch with my husband or my wife. For you, it's your husband. For me, it's my wife. Uh, I want to have time to hang out with the kids in the backyard in the afternoon and just drop what I'm doing whenever I want to do it. I want to be able to have the life where we can go away for weekends, weekend getaways. I want to have the life where uh, in two weeks notice, we can do a four-day weekend in Colorado. I don't, not just want it, it'd be really nice to have it, but boy, if it doesn't happen, I'm a little disappointed, but that's just my life. No, we're talking about raising your standard. You must have have this. It's changing your identity about who you are. I am the type of person who never works out less than six days a week. I am the type of person who never eats sugar. I am the type of person who creates amazing content because he feels inspired, never because he just feels like he needs to show up and, and do it because it's an obligation, because he made a commitment to do it weekly. I am the type of person who is going to serve my clients well above and beyond their wildest expectations, even though I sign up clients who already come in with really high expectations. That's who I am. That's how I show up in the world. And that's what I encourage you to do. Change your identity. Change your life. Until next time, my friends, I encourage you to take everything you do to the next level.
2: Mindset and Man